0: So I have like the classic immigrant story, like we used to live in Lebanon and then like we immigrated to Canada and like, uh, you know, when you get there, you know, my dad works like 15 hours a day, Uh, you know, my mom stays at home, takes care of the kids, a new culture, a new everything and like the one thing an immigrant family doesn't want is like for their kid to pursue like entrepreneurial ventures. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan.
1: Basile, very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. I'm happy to be here. You're the co-founder at Ernie, a simple automated payroll for startups and SMEs based here in Switzerland. But you actually grew up in Canada and studied business administration and economics there. Then, not long after finishing your master's, you then moved to Denmark to sell online magazine subscriptions. So, I wonder, how was the culture shock going from Canada to Europe? How, how was that like for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Denmark was okay, right? From a culture shock perspective, you know, I wasn't moving to, like, Beijing or somewhere like that. So, that was Fair okay. Uh, but I was also much more receptive to it, right? So, when I left Canada to come to Denmark, like, if you're receptive to that environment, there's less of a shock. Um, I'd say the bigger shock actually came when uh, like in the startup itself, like when I joined the uh, kind of starting to sell online magazines, that like early stage startup environment, there were like six people, man, that was like, that was, I would say, a bigger shock than actually going <laughs> to Denmark. I'd been in like, I'd been in like internships before in the past in Canada, but yeah, yeah that was a shock, I would say.
1: In, in what way?
0: Yeah. I mean, like it was just like chaotic, right? There was just no structures, no framework. Um, and I joined, so my job there was like to sell like online magazines um and like i mean you, you yourself know right i think like every i'm a big fan of every founder should probably have some kind of a sales job at some fully point i agree yeah. like because it's just like you learn so much and um typically like so you get in there there's no framework and, and we're basically just trying to like identify right like the customer profile the messaging yeah. all that is like shaky uh, the channels and like there's there you know you're talking to customers they're like you know Saying I don't want to talk to you, or you're sending emails, you're not getting response, and so that like learning process of like identifying the go to market and what sales should be mm-hmm. um, was like just a shock to me. I you know I'd I'd been in other companies where the sales process was kind of already set up, so they identified all that right, right. Like customer profile, and so they would just hire people to to basically just double down on that framework. And just the early stage startup, it's like the product's still being built and they're still kind of like identifying the customers and the channels and all that. And that was like, that to be in that environment was like, and to be in Denmark was, yeah, was a definite, uh, was an adventure, let's put it that way.
1: I can imagine. Yeah, man. But certainly also good preparation for where you ended up after. We're going to talk about that in a second. But before you then came to Switzerland, you actually also spent a lot of time working as a consultant in the freight industry. So that's quite different from the startup world or the magazine subscription world. So what actually captivated you of in, in the freight industry?
0: Yeah, definitely. So um after Denmark, I got a pretty good gig um, in the Nordic country. So I was working with uh, I was working with the CEO of DHL Nordics. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on top of that too, I was doing consulting work for the freight industry. What like what was really interesting in the freight logistics industry is actually the the traveling aspect to it. So like yeah. In that period, like I've paid maybe eight years of being a consultant, I basically traveled to like 60, you know, like 60, 70 countries wow. and um, yeah, just like various conferences, various meetings with, with different people. And like, that was like the real, I'd say captivating part of being freight in and logistics industry. I mean, that's just like, there's also a downside, you know, it's like archaic. It's a bit like old school, I would say the way to do things, mm-hmm. a lot of paper, a lot of fax machines still <laughs> like, uh, yeah, those are still very relevant in the industry, believe it or not. Um, so there's that downside to it, but, um, the traveling was just, yeah, totally, totally worth every, every minute of like being in the industry. Nice. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, we're going to talk about your startup in a, in a second, but then you actually chose the startup way. So where does your entrepreneurial drive come from? Do you have any
0: entrepreneurs in your family or any role models that you looked up to? Man, no, nah, I mean, uh, there's not too many entrepreneurs in my family. Like my, so I have like the classic immigrant story, like we used to live in Lebanon and then, like, we immigrated to Canada. And, like, uh, you know, when you get there, you know, my dad works, like, 15 hours a day. Uh, yeah. You know, my mom stays at home, takes care of the kids, a new culture, new everything. And, like, the one thing an immigrant family doesn't want is, like, for their kid to pursue, like, entrepreneurial ventures. You know, they want him to get an education, get a normal job. You know, just go 9 to 5. Don't do anything mad, you know. Yeah. Take it easy, you know. So when you want to kind of pursue maybe a more of a, a riskier, I'd say, path, you know, it's definitely, like, uh, it's a harder sell right to to your family I would say so so not too so from from a family perspective I would say not too much entrepreneurial uh spirit there not too much dry there I'd say I'd say entrepreneur wise yeah I mean like just like some of the guys obviously I started to follow in the early days so maybe like 2008 2007 is like when I started to really like kind of really maybe understand a little bit what entrepreneurs meant and what Mm -hmm. they wanted to do um you know, I was, like, following guys like Reed Hastings from Netflix I was pretty obsessed with. Um, obviously, like, Elon was, like, just coming out there and with Tesla, just kind of went public. So yeah. there was a lot of, uh, a lot of like, uh, fascination there. So I would say, like, just, like, looking at these guys and kind of what they were doing and, and the fact that they were doing something that was, like, really hard, I don't know, that was, like, really really interesting to me, I would say. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, my say, my drive. Um, and I also had, I'd say, a missed opportunity. So, like, I had launched a venture uh, in, like, it was, I didn't even know it was venture. It was like 2010, 2009, 2010. And I had launched this like education venture. So like um, basically like we were in school and we'd get these assignments and we'd meet up at the library and like to do the assignments together. And like we'd like, you know, call each other and be like, hey, listen, like when can we go there? When are you going to be there? You know, when can I meet you? And there was always guys about showing up. And so a friend of mine, Robin and I, we built this like uh, just prototype like app where basically you could upload the assignment and we could just like do it online. This is even, so I didn't even know what we had at the time. It was called Learn. So it's still online. C O P learn. And you'd upload the assignment. We'd kind of work on it like just together. And then eventually one guy's like, Hey, I have a couple past exams. Can I upload those? So we uploaded those. And then like, so anyway, we started to snowball a little bit. Um, We had about like 2000 users on it at one point. And then uh, like, you know, we, we opened, there's like like, articles written about us in, like, student newspapers across the U.S. and, like, Canada. And, like, we just didn't know what we had. Like, we didn't nurture it. We didn't do anything with it. And it just kind of, like, fizzled out. And mm-hmm. now it's, like, still alive, just out of, like, nostalgia reasons. It's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah,
1: now I understand the missed opportunity. So you didn't want to get into that situation a second time.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Yeah.
1: I, I briefly want to talk about your your situation with your parents. You know, th- sort of also that expectation that... You would need to get a good education, then yeah. probably go for a corporate job that is safe, secure, you have a good income. Yeah. How do you convince them that the entrepreneurial path is actually also a good alternative? Was that very difficult for you
0: to convince them? I mean, I don't think you ever do so. I mean, I think like <laughs> until you sell a company for like a billion dollars, I don't know if yeah. you ever do, man. Um, I would say like uh, eventually they just like they just become numb to it and they just kind of support you. I would say, yeah. um, but there's so many stories like that of like you know immigrant parents and like a lot of a lot of like founders and like successful entrepreneurs actually are immigrants. They have this like weird drive to sure. want to like excel beyond whatever like the establishment or the status quo is. So um, yeah, I don't think you ever do, man. I just think you continue to just like grind it, and then eventually maybe you have a huge exit, and then they just like they're convinced by it or they just become numb.
1: But but it's not that you have difficult conversation with with your parents. You just probably. Skip yeah, yeah, it. yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. We just kind of like brush over it. They're like, ah, yeah. you know, this is this is my daughter. She's like an amazing musician. That's my son. You just exactly. keep on the- <laughs> Fair point.
1: So then it was actually in, in 2021 when you then came to Switzerland and you ran into the problem which eventually created Ernie. So yeah. in the first place, why do you actually come to Switzerland? That's a very interesting path. You know, Lebanon, Canada, Denmark, and then Switzerland. I know all the red and white and the flags, but... Yeah, what what yeah. is it really that brought you to Switzerland?
0: Yeah, so honestly, all honestly, I, so I was in, I did also a, a period in Silicon Valley. So before I came to Switzerland, I was actually in Silicon Valley uh, with my wife there. And um, we had been there for like four and a half years. And like, we just got to a point where we wanted to raise a family. And uh, my wife is Dutch. And so she just like misses the European, like living, just the lifestyle of living in Europe. right? And it was it, like in the lifestyle in California, unfortunately, like had kind downgraded. I mean, you, you've heard of it for sure. A lot of the guys started to move to Austin. Now Miami is a real hot spot. And so they just started to downgrade. And so we ended up basically moving to, um, so my wife basically wanted to move maybe first uh, to Netherlands, maybe where she's from. She's looking in the UK. And then eventually she got a job at UBS. So then we just kind of like packed our bags and came back to Europe. And yeah, personal reasons why we came to Switzerland for nice. now. Yeah, exactly.
1: So you also have a co-founder at Ernie. Uh, his name is Daniel. How do you actually meet each other?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I used, to, um, I used to basically be an advisor for a company called LucaBox. So they're like a startup here, and I'm an investor in them as well. And um, I used to like lead their product team for a bit. Uh, so I was like an interim product lead when we were looking for one. And then uh, when we were hiring a CPO uh, who kind of replaced me in, uh, I think it was, I do March, whatever. He eventually replaced me. Basically... Um, I was like looking for a, a great product guy, right? So some yeah. guy to really compliment my skills, maybe as a sales guy or as a CEO. And um, yeah, I kind of just asked Luke about, hey, can I get a look at like the CVs that you know you guys went through? Like who are the CPO candidates? So I started to go through that. Um, that was like first, I went to like 50, 60 of them. And then eventually like uh, I found one with Daniel, who's like uh, my co-founder. And I saw his profile and um, yeah, he just like ticked a lot of the boxes on paper. Mm-hmm. So he had like... He had like Bexio experience building products. He then went to Finova. Um, he kind of had, had experience in the finance and SME space. So he ticked off a ton of boxes on paper, right? So then, but I'm super skeptical on paper. And then like I had a conversation, first conversation with them went pretty well. Um, and then a few more. And then eventually I had one conversation I would say that was like the real tipping point. And I had conversations with other candidates as well. But there was like one conversation that was a real tipping point with Dan. It was like, he just like was like super honest with what we were saying about personal stuff. So he started talking about like family, personal stuff, um, like his situation is like close family as well as kids. So he started talking about some real personal topics with me, and I felt like that was like the tipping point. Like none of the other candidates would go that deep with me, and and, and you know they all they're all very skilled, mm-hmm. um, but that like honest touch, I think like really um, resonated with me and was, you know, made it a no brainer. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, that was kind of like how I based my decision at the end of the day. So it was
1: really this, this openness, this honest, personal share yeah. that built trust. And then we said, Hey, we could actually start a company together.
0: Totally. Totally. Cause that's what you want, right? Cause you're going to go through the bad times at, you okay. know, with your co-founder, like you're gonna go through some really dark times. Um, and you don't want a guy who's like lying to you or a guy who maybe is like trying to hide something from you. You want it all on the table no. and, and you want to be accepting and you want to do vice versa, right? Me, myself, I want to be honest right. with Dan sometimes and say, listen, like it's not working out. I'm having a rough day. Let's call it a night. Yeah. And you know, you got to, that, that same kind of reciprocal honesty has to happen. And yeah. And that's kind of like the kind of guys, uh, that's the kind of guys, not only I look for Dan as a f- founder, but also as like this, this anyone I hire actually, that's kind of what sure. you want. Like you want. You want the ugly. You want to know the ugly before you hire them. Otherwise, Fair like point. otherwise it's gonna get really ugly. Yeah. So and we've made some hiring mistakes. I'm not saying we're perfect.
1: I mean, I think we've all been there, right? Yeah. This is part of the game.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But how did then really the idea of Ernie come around? Like you were already looking for a co founder, so to speak, so you had to look at the CVs. So for you it was already clear that, hey, this is the problem that I want to tackle. Can you talk a bit more about the early days, how you then went from
0: idea to the actual company foundation? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, so like, the problem was pretty evident. So I I used to live in California. There, I was a temp CFO. So basically, I worked with like startups in the area and like um, kind of I used a, a range of different software tools. Mm-hmm. So I use like Gusto was one of them. Uh, you probably are aware of it. Um, there's a few other expensive, fi, QuickBooks, a lot of them. And then like when I came to Switzerland with my wife, the idea was like maybe I just do this. You know, maybe I just open up a firm here and I could like k- service the startups and the you know the SME community here. With the whatever the software offerings here are in Switzerland, so I can't use any of those U.S. based products here, right? Doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very localized. So when I was looking at the products here, you know, I saw like a, a significant like. Uh, so I don't want. I don't want to knock the products here in Switzerland. All right, they're good. Okay, but definitely there is like a, there is like a definitely a difference between I'd say U.S. based SME products from what I what what I, especially in the finance space from my time in the U.S. versus mm-hmm. the ones in Switzerland. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and the one area that I saw the greatest gap, and the one area I saw a gap that no one was covering was payroll specifically. So I saw like Yoko covering the expense reporting space. Like Leggy was doing cap table management. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple guys trying to do kind of bookkeeping and stuff. Like Easy Count was trying to do. I think there's a couple of them coming. Um, Numarix now is doing a great job there as well. So a lot of the spaces were covered, mm-hmm. or was going to be covered, right? They were building towards it. So I said, I'm not going to waste my time. But the one space no one was kind of, tackling was really this this payroll space um and yeah that's kind of like what i'd say prompted the like the endeavor then i started talking to the community like accountants i went to like yeah i mentioned earlier blue lion pretty much Uh, so i talked to guys who maybe tried to crack it in the past Um, and then also like guys who maybe had the same vision as me but didn't pursue it and then Mm -hmm. just trying to piece piece it together to understand like why didn't they go for it if they did what failed and then like eventually realized like actually there's there's an opportunity here and like it's hard yeah. but let's try it
1: that's really interesting that you then talk to people who have similar visions or ambitions but didn't follow up on them or others who tried but it didn't work out because if no one else is doing or tackling that
0: space it could also be that it's just not a good space to go in right That's us try it, man so you did your due diligence I mean, you do it as best as you can, right? Sure. Yeah. Obviously, like, you're not going to know for <laughs> sure. You do it I even talked to um, I even talked to Marius Kreis, uh, who's one of the founders of Elona, yeah. which is the company yep. that Bexio bought right. and plugged in, and also trying to understand his because he had the same vision, right? He wanted yep. to do like the gusto of of Switzerland, um, and then like blow it up there. But mm. but yeah, I guess I don't want to go into the details of what happened there. But yeah, like uh, just you want to try and gather as much perspective as much insight as possible before yep. you kick off a venture. Um,
1: and then you reach a conclusion, hey it's actually a good space to go in.
0: And that's the question. It's like, when, when is that conclusion? Because like, yeah. you could do that search forever. Of course. Right? Yeah. Eventually, you just got to rip the bandage and go. Yeah. Um, and so that's, like, uh, that's when we felt, all right, let's just do it. And then that's when we ripped it. What
1: convinced you specifically? Did it just set a time frame for you to reach a conclusion? Or were there any specific points that you learned along the process that didn't really convince you to take, take the leap?
0: So the thing what convinced me was I wasn't learning too much more new things okay. by talking to people. Yeah. So I stopped, yeah, I stopped getting I stopped getting new information. And so it was really recurring, 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 recurring. And it was like, I could keep doing this, but I'm probably going to learn only incrementally more than what I already know. Right. So at that point, it was just like, it was decision time. Yeah. Like that was it. So yeah, that's, that's the journey, I guess. Amazing. Yeah. So can you talk a bit more how payroll is actually done on Ernie? On Ernie? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you like, I mean, I could, let me kind of actually go back and say like, um, in Switzerland, there's like three ways to do payroll. Let me just kind of break that down sure. first. I'll tell you how we do it on our Of course. So um, you can do it yourself in Switzerland, right? As an SME, like a small medium company, you can do it yourself. You can go out and use one of the software st- stacks out there, yeah. but you need payroll experience. I mean, if you ever try to run your own payroll, you're you're going to be on the blogs. You're going to be on the internet searching. What should I add for insurance? What should I add for pension? Um, you know, it's what is withholding tax or Quentin yes. like you're going to be all over the place trying to figure out that stuff out. Right. So yeah. you, that's the first option. Um, and you're prone to error, right? Cause you're a newbie. The second option is you can use an accountant, but they charge you anywhere between 30 and 60 francs per employee per month mm-hmm. to run that payer on average. Right. I mean, some of the accounts might be like, I don't charge that much, but sure. on average, yeah. And on top of that, you end up doing a lot of the work yourself. So, so you, you gather all the documentation for the insurance. You send it to them by email. They send you back like PDFs in Excel so you can fill in. And then they retype that data into their software. Sounds very inefficient. Yeah, so it's super archaic, right? And then the third option is you can hire somebody internally. But if you're small, you just don't do that. Right. Because it's just an additional expense on your payroll. And if when you get medium to the medium size, what we saw is like they hire someone internally. And that internal person uses an accountant. So it's like double the cost. Wow. So yeah, so it was really deadly. So with Ernie, pretty much our value prop is like, anyone can run payroll, no previous payroll experience needed. Mm-hmm. So we like, we calculate like your withholding tax code for you, for example, if yeah. you have a Quentin person, right? right. Um, we kind of already automate the information that comes in from the employee. So if they move or change an address or have yeah. a child, that's incorporated into the payroll. So we're trying to automate that process so that like, yeah. Basically, you don't have to do any manual work, any retyping of that data. Okay. And if you want to still use an accountant on Ernie, you can still do so. Like, the, you can still invite the accountant. Okay. So, like, we try and, like, we try and take the, the need to, for knowledge out of payroll and let, like, Ernie guide you through that flow, and through that step. And we remove email and Excel. Um, and we give right. everybody an interface, right? So, employees get an interface. Nice. Like, accountants get an interface and companies get an interface. Okay. And they feed data centrally into this, like, one, I say, nucleus, which then runs your payroll. Fantastic. That's earning pretty much, man.
1: And I guess you also have a business case where you say to potential customers, the companies that use your service, that's how much money you can save with our solution.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there is like, there, we, we're still pinning that out, right? Like we're still in the early days, right. I would say. But uh, I mean, on average, like I said, they accountants charge you anywhere between 30 and 60 francs per employee yeah. per month. We charge you 10 francs. So we're like a third of the cost, right? Okay. I um, mean, if you, like, extrapolate that across the year or, like, multiple years, right? Like, an LTV, like, on, on a payroll product is huge, right? It's, yeah. like, on average, like, our hypothesis is, like, eight to nine years. So it's very long, right? right. Um, so I would say, um, yeah, it's, like, we're, we're trying to be, like, a third of the cost, I would say, of, of yeah. uh, whether you want to use an accountant. And if you want to do it yourself, right, we save you costs in the sense that, like, we save you time. Like, you don't have to go out searching for stuff, like, uh, you know, try to understand things. You know, we save you, like, worry as well. So we save you more on the time and worry aspect, I would say, if you're doing it yourself. Right. Um, and so that's kind of, like, where the, I would say the, the savings come in, time and cost. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, of course, I also want to talk about some challenges and obstacles that you face. I think there's plenty of stuff yeah. that we can talk about. The first one is about the issue itself, the problem. So I know you mentioned the three different ways of how you can do payroll today as a company. And you know, for for most companies, I can imagine maybe it's not the best solution that they have in place, but somehow it's working. So I wonder, is the pain point big enough that they would even consider an alternative solution
0: like Ernie? Yeah, it's a great question. So for we get this question all the time too. So if you're if you're like a uh, an SME, you just have like a monthly salary that you run, and you're already set up on like a software stack somewhere or on Excel right. or whatever. Um, we don't like we don't we don't propose you change right unless you like unless you're super unhappy like we just say go on your way yeah. you're good like you know but if you're uh, like an SME who's about to grow really, really fast like onboard a lot of S- a lot of employees and kind of you know your 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 payroll is going to get more complicated over time mm-hmm. we we do recommend like ripping that bandage and going right. with like with us pretty much because we can kind of support you and save you a lot more time over time as you get those yeah. employees and on top of that too if you're like if you have recurring monthly changes, so if you have hourly employees, or if you have like bonuses that you pay on a monthly basis, or like, or if you know, like if you just want to be really tight on your payroll, like you know, kids are born and you want to you want to get that ahead of time, uh, report it. That pretty much we recommend the switching early. But if you're monthly, you're set up. Not too many changes in a month. You're not going to grow. You're not going to hire anybody throughout the year. Right. Stay the way you are, man. Like there's no. I mean, you can make the switch if you truly want, but we're not. I mean, we're not going to convince you like you're good to go.
1: So in that regard, you mainly focus on either companies that are just starting out that don't have any solution in place at all yet, or companies that really hit that next growth level where things change and then they also need to consider a different setup.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's going to focus. Perfect.
1: And then, you know, talking about focus, I mean, in the end, you actually have to acquire B2B clients. And I can imagine, especially here in Switzerland, right, the SMEs, they can be quite a tough cookie to crack, totally. especially if you don't speak Swiss German. That's yeah. what I always <laughs> hear from other companies saying. So <laughs> yeah, totally. first of all, has this ever been a challenge for you? And second of all, how do you actually solve that?
0: Yeah, so we're we're in the stage now where like we're in the early adopter stage, right? Yep. That's where we are. So in the early adopter stage, the guys who um, are going to kind of sign up, the SMEs are going to sign up, are going to speak some level of English because they're the early adopters. They're more open, You know, and and kind of like, you know, they're more willing to have the conversations, And so English hasn't been an issue in the early adopter curve. Mm -hmm. Once you get over the early adopter curve, you go to like mass market or you even start to edge into the mass market. That's where like you got to get a Swiss German speaking guy for sure. We already have a a French speaking guy from the Romandie region. So he's set up. We got to get an Italian speaking guy. That's where you got to get localized. Right. I think once you get into that match, but your early adopter curve, it's okay. I think at that point um so english hasn't been an it's a great question by the way because uh, i don't speak german obviously but yeah english hasn't been an issue i would say in the in the early adopter phase yeah. but it will be almost definitely because there are customers who i speak to where they want to speak german mm-hmm. and at that point dan who's my uh, co-founder he yeah. basically will speak to them right uh, because yeah they just don't speak you know sure. speak english but but you know you get the odd case but overall the early adopters are mostly english speaking got it
1: If you need to build a great website design or would like to upgrade your existing site, Tasnadi & Co. are a digital agency with expertise in building websites fast and efficiently. I can tell you from my personal experience working with them at Rentouch that they have an incredibly competent and responsive team. The tool they use is Webflow, a no-code website builder with growing popularity. And this means you get a clean code and no restrictions on how the website looks. Your design can be customized to exactly how you envision it unlike what happens with theme-based website builders. It's also very easy and cost-effective to maintain, edit, and expand your site. And you can have a simple website up and running in a week for a very reasonable fee. Go to tasnadi.net forward slash Webflow to find out more. Again, that's tasnadi.net forward slash Webflow. And what do you think? How long will that early adopter phase last? Like, do you have a specific number in, in your head where you say, hey, these are the early adopters and then we need to actually ramp up the sales team to also have the, the local language skills or what do you think about that? Well, I Man,
0: that's a solid question. So like when the early adopter curve ends and when the mass market starts, right? Man, that is like, that's, <laughs> the, that's like telling me like, when is your product going to be the perfect product for product market fit? It's sure. like, you know, you're, it's like the ultimate question. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't got a number. Be honest with you like yeah. all I know is that, like, as soon as I start seeing there were more and more of these requests that are coming in, where the guys are speaking with like a strong German accent or a strong French accent, right. I see a lot like more of these. Yeah. Then I'm gonna basically realize, okay, maybe it's time. Yeah. Um, we get them obviously, sure but the guys are willing to speak English, like, surprisingly, nice. we get them, but um, but it's not as honest. So I think when I start to see more volume in terms of like, okay. um, yeah, in terms of like what comes through the pipeline, then I, I, I'll i know that maybe we're past the early adopter phase now.
1: But no, I think that's a perfect statement to that question because in theory, you always see these concepts, right? When then you switch from one phase to the next phase. But yeah. in reality, that's not black and white. That's a gray area where you never know where you exactly stand. And I think what you just mentioned, once the pain point becomes big enough that it can't handle or that, that you actually yeah. eventually lose inbound customers, Due to the language restrictions, then it's time to ramp up, but not before that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think exactly. that's a very fair assessment. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, in the startup world, you never want to like presume anything or assume something too fast, right? You want to, you know, but you also need to be the agile enough to like, you know, fill the demand as soon as it comes sure. in. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't want to make any moves there until I know for sure, right? Yeah, um, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah.
1: And also talking about your business model, so obviously you have a subscription-based business model. If we look at it, you have per client approximately a low four-digit ARR at the moment. Do you think that this is, you know, enough to actually build a sustainable business? Because you also need to talk to them. You talked about a sales team. So oh, yeah. usually that deal size might seem too low from the outside to actually build a sustainable business model with a
0: sales team. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question, right? Um, so yeah, I mentioned earlier LTV is pretty long, right? So right. LTV, like, we we basically suspect... We also did some studies maybe on Gusto, see kind of what their LTV was. We think, like, seven, eight years is, like, the LTV yeah. on a bad payroll product, yeah. okay?
1: So and that's that we, even a lot more than a regular SaaS product, right? Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah.
0: But you know how it is. Like, payroll, like, you're locked in, right? When you're in, you're in, you sure. get comfortable. Yeah. You know, it's like a nice couch. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> so um, so I would say on that part, um, LTV is pretty good. Um, but yeah, you're right, right? It's still the four-digit ARR. It's, like, low, right? Like, a 10 a 10-employee company will only generate like 1200 for us right mm-hmm. throughout the year. Yeah. That's kind of the way it is. Um, but so we, we'll basically, you know, we're, we're basically still working out what our, what our CAC is, like our cost acquisition. Mm-hmm. We're still working that out. But we're also like, noticing, too, that there's more, um, there's like potential and not just like monetizing on, on payroll. And I'll tell you what, kind of what I mean by that. Like we saw already scenarios uh, where we have companies signing up with us and um, we basically see their insurance rates. So it's like same company, same yeah. industry, yeah. same number of employees. And I see two companies the same, by the way, two companies, the exact same. Sure. Yet the insurance rates for one company is like astronomically higher than the other one. Yeah. Right. And then when I go to like our insurance partner and I ask him like, what's going on here? He says like, yeah, it's it's a black box. It's like being taken advantage of and Absolutely. like you never kind of like you never change your insurance. Yeah. So there's like areas to monetize, I would say, beyond just on the on the payroll part. Mm-hmm. I mean, for sure. We're seeing that already. Like we're also seeing profiles not just on company, but also on employees, right? Yeah. So so we're seeing like employees like different pensions stuff like that, and we're thinking, we're like, "What's going on here? Why are these guys getting different pensions? Same same age, same like yeah. profile." And I'm thinking to myself, "How is that even <laughs> possible?" But anyway, so yeah. so we're seeing additional areas of monetization. I would say beyond just um, I would say payroll that we're going to investigate it further. Mm-hmm. Um, but to counteract, like yeah, like the the yearly low digit AR, it's like we're getting to a point where we're building a product that's like you know trying to get as automated as possible least amount of customer support as possible right yeah. so like you know there's still customer support needed and there's always going to be sure. but like if you can kind of like reduce that we already have some customers like sign up and do a whole self-service thing but we saw errors in their onboarding yeah. and that was like i would say another thing we're trying to solve as well not just the, the fact that they go through the process but how do you mitigate the errors yeah. so listen it's a combination of like improving your product, so that's like self-service um but then also identifying like monetization areas that are just like beyond whatever your core offering is. Right. Like that's the that's I would say our, our That's I would say our, our plan to kind of I would say mitigate the low AR. Yeah.
1: And therefore, while ideally keeping the same customer acquisition costs, increasing the yeah. AR and lifetime value,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. If you could do that, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And
1: a- another thing that you could consider is going international. So what are your thoughts on that? Is that anything that you oh, plan man. to do?
0: That's like the trillion dollar question. Like do you, you do you know like okay, so the Gusto doesn't operate in this market, right? Imagine them having to do like aha fa or quedenstoya, yeah. like hell no. Uh, you know, like going, figuring out how to make your payroll product go international is like the the the, the holy grail in the payroll space. Um, to give you an example, there's a company in France called PayFit. Okay. Uh, they raised like 280 million. Um, they do what we do pretty much in France. Mm-hmm. They raised 280 million in funding uh, just in January, like this month. Yeah. Um, and they're now targeting, like, the German markets, the Spanish markets. And and so what you do when you go into a new market, you're rebuilding your back end.
1: So, you have to. It's so different. Like, it's a really local problem
0: that you solve. Yeah, exactly. So you got to rebuild the back end. So what you try to do, so they're trying to rebuild their back end. And we're already hearing whispers from customers in Germany saying, like, it's incomplete. Uh, I have to ask yeah. them if I can hire an employee before I hire them. You know, there's like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a terrible experience. And on average, it takes like 12 to 18 months to build out that back end to cover the edge case and everything. And so going international requires like a full back end rebuild, right? Um, and then the other question is what we always get from investors. Why don't you just buy a payroll company?
1: Sure. That would have to be my next question. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. So why don't you just buy
0: a payroll company, right? So it's like, okay, so uh, you know a company called Fersonio in Germany? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yes. So, like, Personio tried that. They bought, like, a payroll engine in, the, in Spain, okay. right, called Roblox or Rollbox. I always forget. I always get this confused with the education startup. Anyway, so they bought it, and their idea was, all right, we're just going to, like, tweak a few numbers and mm-hmm. make it set up for the German market. Yeah. When they started to do that, and they're trying to connect it to their front end, it just, like, wasn't working. Like, it just, yeah. like, um, so at the end of the day, they wrote off the investment, and they just, like, didn't even go for it. Um, they still they're still building out the team in Spain. So that's okay, but yeah, there's just roll out the investment. And so, our our approach is a bit different. So, in like an our our technological approach on how to scale markets. Okay, so we bought a payroll engine in Switzerland. Okay, and so the way it works, in, and we're building like a middle layer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the way it works is basically like we this middle layer that we're building is like an absorbent. So like we are basically building all the automation, all like the smart logic in the middle layer. And the back end engine, just as a calculator, imagine just like a calculator where you just throw right. numbers in and they give you the right numbers back. And so the idea is that like this absorbent middle layer could potentially be used to reabsorb another backend that we potentially purchase in other markets, right? Whatever that market may be, Germany, France, whatever it is, right? And then, so what that would then do is it would accelerate your go-to-market significantly, right? right. So, you know, we're solving a problem, but we're also thinking like we're solving a short-term problem. But we're also thinking like down the road, like how do you scale this? How do you solve the scale problem in payroll? Um, And how do you do it in a smart way technically? Because that's really the challenge. It's a technological challenge. And so that's kind of like our approach to, I would say, solving that scale problem. We don't know if it works yet, by the way. Of course.
1: Yeah. But if it works, that will give you a really unfair advantage over all the other companies out there because then you are way more flexible if I understood that correctly.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we we're already getting like so. There's a couple guys in Germany, like uh, I'm not gonna say who they are, but they're interested in like seeing how this little experiment of ours pans sure. out. Pretty much, yeah. because yeah, I mean, like if it does pan out, you basically have found like a, you know, you could accelerate your go to market. It could be like three to six months instead of twelve to eighteen. Right. So you go to market super faster, and and you got like a real, like you got a good base, right? You have a product that has been in the market, stable. You know, it's yeah. a calculator that's gonna if you put two plus two, it's gonna give you four. So yeah. you know what you're gonna get out of that calculator. So yeah, we feel pretty um we don't know if it works, but that's our technical that's our technological approach to it. But amazing. We'll let you know. Sure. When, we, when we try.
1: We'll we'll talk we we'll do another episode about <laughs> yeah, the exit, sure. okay? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but in, in that regard, if you had to go to another market, um, what would you choose then? Would you prefer to buy an existing company that already has clients and you know the software in place where you didn't just connect that to your middle layer and to the back end? Or would you prefer to start a new market from scratch with your approach to ensure that it
0: really works? I think we're probably going to buy. We want to test that hypothesis. Sure. We want to test buying. So we want to identify like a a legacy app in a new market, like one that's working. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's certifying bodies, by the way, in every market that tries to certify payroll. There's one in Switzerland as well, and there's one in Germany. And so... We wanna buy some kind of certified, I would say, application. And then we wanna basically we wanna test this hypothesis, right? Because the go to market's like it's like a twelve month accelerated go to market. Exactly. And um yeah, that's kind of the reason why we don't try. And then like if you can prove the hypothesis, it also makes this very attractive for like um yeah, like massive fundraise rounds, right? Absolutely. So yeah, that's kind of the yeah.
1: yeah, I already see the, the fundraising story playing out. You know, we're <laughs> going to build the biggest one in Europe, et cetera. Everyone, so, oh, yeah, everyone's yeah. <laughs> talking like that, right? Like we're
0: going to be the biggest scent of Corn ever. And uh, exactly. everyone talks like that. But yeah, got to stay grounded. Sure. And yep.
1: at the same time, if you think about your growth engine, you actually have now two ways of doing it, right? You can go and purchase existing companies or tools out there in other markets to expand geographically. But you can also, as you mentioned before, try to increase the AR and lifetime value of existing customers here in Switzerland. That's right. I guess you properly would have to choose one to focus on. You cannot do both at the same time in a very good
0: way. So, if you had to make a choice, what would you would you go for? Yeah, it's a, I think it's more of a it's a timing question. I would say. Right. So, right, It's like uh, you know, Amazon does everything, right? Uh, but it's a timing question. It's yeah. like when did they do what when? Right. Yeah. Um, and so. I think for us it's a timing question and what we do first and what we do second. I think we we're going to focus on the whole market like for sure that's our initial focus. That's the that's the promise we've made to this market, the customers we have. Like we're not going to go to another market unless we know this market's solid and it's okay and it's running functionally. We're never going to reallocate resources if to if for expansions um, if we don't know this market's good, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, like, so that's, that's our primary focus. So if I was going to choose, I would like right now, hypothetically speaking, yeah, I mean, I chose to take care of the guys we have here right in the Swiss market and make sure this market's okay. That's number one. Um, and then, yeah, if there's like excess capital to experiment in other markets. well, excess capital? Who has excess capital? If you have like a, you know, if you have a plan and you identify like a, a solid entry strategy in a new market, maybe additional capital could be allocated to that. Um, but definitely like not at the expense of hurting this market. And, no. and not at the expense of providing additional value to our customers in this market. No way, man. No. It's not worth it. Perfect. Yeah.
1: So you raised your one million round from Polytech Ventures and others recently. Yeah. You also have more refined products in the works for 2022. So what can users expect? What can you already
0: share with us what you have in the making? Uh, what we're working on now. Oh man, like 2022 is all about like trying to automate the product as much as possible, right? right. It's trying to get... Like it's trying to make it as hands off as possible for us, like, and yes. as automated and simple from a customer. Perspective. So we launched, uh, uh, we launched the beta in November, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've been collecting feedback like crazy. We had feedback before with like a few private beta customers. And then like, once you go public, it's when you really get like a ridiculous amount of feedback. Right. So it's all about like understanding how to incorporate that feedback into a product that is as self-service and automated as possible with little CS support as possible. Yeah. Right? So I'll give you one example, like adding insurance rates into a payroll product, like one out of like 50 companies will get this correct, like to put <laughs> the right rates in. Uh, they just like don't know how to add the rates, man. And so like we're looking at like how do we automate that? Can we work with insurance companies to where someone puts in a customer and a contract number? We're just automatically yeah. there. Like that is like the core product focus is like what what we need to do in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like, we can look into some like fancy stuff. We already had like customers say, like, "Hey, can I get like, can I pay a portion of my employee salaries in crypto or something like that?" Right. I'll get something like that. And I'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds very interesting, right? It's like a, sure. it's like a it's like a second second pillar, yeah. right? In Switzerland, of course. You know, it's like a, you can use it as a store of value. So we get those comments sometimes. And you get a bunch of like interesting ideas that come from your customer base, uh, but you can't you can't derail you from. Um, the core product right now and making that really rock solid. Um, yeah, just minimizing your support needs uh, and, and making just like it yeah, the best product for the core customer right now. Great. I yeah. think
1: that's a very good focus to have.
0: Yeah, man. So you have to do it.
1: So one other thing on a personal level, you actually also started investing in Swiss startups. Yeah. So, you know, you came here as a foreigner and I, I know from other people telling me that coming to Switzerland as a foreigner is not the easiest thing because our Society, so to speak, is a bit more closed so yeah. it's it 's quite difficult to you know to to make connections to meet new people so first of all, how did you experience that? Was that ever a challenge for you to actually you know find some connections and and other people here in Switzerland to eventually
0: also work with so it was it was a bit harder I would say um, obviously it 's all about your personality right like right. Uh, you know, if you're more outgoing, you know, and you're like constantly seeking out specific areas of interest of yours, like you're going to meet other people with similar interests. Um, but obviously, like if you do that in Silicon Valley, maybe if you're interested in startups and do it in Silicon Valley versus if you do it in Switzerland, there might be a bit of like different reception, right? Slightly. <laughs> Slightly different reception, right? So I would say like um, <clears throat> for sure, like um, that's like in in the Swiss, yeah, I say going, going kind of the Swiss where I, I, there was definitely some. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit harder. I would say a bit colder, but eventually, like you kind of crack through it, and like you meet the right people, and then they yeah. introduce you to more people, and then like you get involved with more things, and and like yeah, a great way is obviously like money talks, right? So if you if you want to invest some money into a couple startups, people get to know you that this guy invests in some early stage yeah. startups, and eventually it snowballs, and eventually like that's always a great way, right? If you have capital, um, and all, if all you have is like skill and interest, you still can do that, right? You go like Blue Line has some great events, F ten. Like, just go to a few events. They're free, and you can go and meet people. Um, and so that's kind of how you start. It's like you started with these, like, maybe events to get to know a few people, and then, like, you make one investment, leads to another, maybe investment. Or you you provide some advisory work for one startup that then snowball mm-hmm. into another startup. So that's, like, I would say the – the I mean, there's no science to it. It's just, like, you just got to have this kind of outgoing positive spirit. Yeah. That's all it is, man. That certainly helps. Yeah, yeah, man.
1: But it's also really just all about getting started. Like, take baby yeah. steps, but – make that step these steps right
0: yeah exactly just start exactly. like just start something <laughs> yeah
1: and you know coming from the outside switzerland also has sort of a bad reputation for being too expensive for mm-hmm. not being the best you know place to invest your money to start so that's probably the outside picture that you got how do you then perceive reality once you got there of switzerland being too expensive accurate
0: or not accurate I mean, from a personal consumption perspective, yeah, man. Switzerland's <laughs> expensive. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, from like an investment perspective, I'd say like uh, you could get into some startups here pretty cheap, I would say, uh, because it's like a lesser known market, right? right? It's like the same with the emerging markets. So I have some investments also in the emerging markets. You get in pretty cheap, right? Because there are lesser known markets. There's less competition for, you know, to getting dollars and stuff. So you can get in pretty cheap, I would say. Um there is this, like, um, maybe perception that, like, your returns aren't as big here in Switzerland versus, like, if you had made the similar kind of investment in the United States or, right? right? It, maybe because it's market size or maybe it's because, yeah. I mean, it could be market but a lot of these startups are also like, they can go international, right? Yeah. So there's also that perception. But for me, it's like, I, coming into this market, and investing in this market, it's more just like, um, I met some really cool guys um, and, and girls, right? Um, and, um, and yeah, they're just really smart, they're really motivated. Um, I believe in what they're doing, um, regardless of like nationality, Switzerland, the US, like mm-hmm. the investment just like made sense from that standpoint. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the way I've assessed it so far. We'll see if any of them pan out. <laughs>
1: so that that sounds like a, a good balance <laughs> between people are very serious about their own startups and companies. So you do have a certain safety yeah. there. But you, of course, also if the investment have the upside. So you might have a bit more safety because people are really serious. And although the lower upside might be justified due to the market size, et cetera, it still seems to be in a good balance.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the guys who start companies here are very serious. Like, it's not just off a whim. Exactly. You know? And you know, if it doesn't work out, they're, you know, they're really reminiscing and thinking about what they've done and like, they're not just back at it Yeah. So I'd say, like, it's, yeah, it's, like a, it's a much more serious attempt at a venture in Switzerland I would say versus uh, the US right or any other market I would say um, plus like the capital requirements to get in right just to form an AG here you need like 50k in capital true in yeah. the, and and like, it takes about a month to incorporate it, and like in the US it's like you can just incorporate an LCC or a C corp with like nothing at all and like yeah. like start that's it you're done <laughs> like and you're off to the races right and no liability and yeah. yeah here it's like a when you when you decide to pursue a venture it's a serious venture it's yeah. not like uh, it's not taken lightly Yeah, Yeah.
1: And it also sounds that investing into startups is a really great way of getting a foot in the door in the ecosystem,
0: just the way that you did it. Oh, I mean, definitely, right? If you come in with money, I mean, the doors are going to open for you. (laughs) That's how it is, right? For sure. Uh, Um, Yeah, I mean, definitely. You have capital and you want to invest. And yeah, there's definitely opportunity here um, to get into that startup ecosystem. And if you don't, right? I want to address the other problem. Like if you don't have money, right? How do you then get into, you know, a lot of guys come here, they don't have money and they just like want to get into the ecosystem, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the best way, like, you just go to these kind of, like, incubator events and community events. Um, Like, Spoon over here will hold a couple events with, like, I think uh, Yoiko was there a few weeks ago. And so, yeah, just go to the events, get to know the guys, get to know the people. um, And then pretty much, like, try and, yeah, try and offer your services. Like, um, whatever that may be. I mean, everyone has a skill. So whatever that may be. And then, yeah, just kind of that's how you bridge it in. But uh, if you have capital, go the capital route. The fast track. it's a fast track definitely <laughs> if you don't then yeah you could always do it the old-fashioned way interest and skill got it yeah
1: so to wrap up this episode i want to also ask you about your personal resources and gadgets recommendations what can you recommend to our listeners maybe even something that you use yourself on a regular basis
0: oh like a resource to help grow the business or like personal resource could where be
1: anything anything that makes your life easier or that really helped you along the in the past can be books, blocks, podcasts,
0: whatever. Oh, man, like I'm a massive podcaster. Like that's all I do. Yeah. Like I listen to you guys. I listen Perfect. to I listen to All In pretty much as well nice. in the US. I really like, yeah. um, I listen to like a lot of Gary V, unfortunately on NFT. Yeah. Anything on NFT I'm going nuts on right now. Um, so yeah, I'm a pretty big podcaster, I would say in that in that sense. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I mostly gather my information, I would yeah. say from a resource perspective. Fantastic. Yeah, man.
1: And for the very last part, we prepared some rapid fire questions for you. So yeah. I either give you different options to choose from or a short question and you have to explain your choice in one sentence.
0: All right. I like that. You ready? All right. I like that. Go for it. Yeah. What does money mean to you? <laughs> man, this is not a rapid fire question. Like, <laughs> Money is like a tool in order to, action, to enact change. That's the way I see money, right? Perfect. You need it to do that change. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. And you
1: actually also wrote a book, so author or founder?
0: Man, if I could, author. Really? Yeah, if I could. You don't even, like, yeah, it's like an escapism. Like, I write sci-fi. It's just an escapism, man. You're just like, yeah. If I could, right? I'm not that good of an author, though. I think I'm a better founder, but I don't know yet. We'll see. Future will
1: tell. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. Where do you actually go to think?
0: Uh, Long walks. Like Just like endless walks my wife calls me and yells at me because I've been gone for too long. <laughs> hey, you're still <laughs> alive. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> what do you prefer, fixing your own problems or look for other problems to solve?
0: Other problems. I don't have that many problems, man. We live in Switzerland. Yeah. I mean, what do we got here? Like other problems for sure. Yeah.
1: Great. And the last one,
0: Canada, Denmark or Switzerland? Oh, man, the Swiss are going to hate me. It's all about. I mean, I'm I'm a can I'm Canada obsessed. I'm Canadian, so
1: that's all right. I love
0: Switzerland. It's great, but if I'm honest, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of similarities between Canada and Switzerland. But I mean, yeah. for you know, you have I have so many years in Canada. That's why, of course. But yeah. big Switzerland fan, just so everyone knows.
1: So Canadian at heart, but a
0: big fan of Switzerland. Yeah, thanks, of course. Yeah, man,
1: <laughs> fantastic, Basil, Thank you so much for stopping by. It was a pleasure talking to you, and lots of success with earning whatever you're tackling or investing into into future.
0: Thanks, Dylan. Appreciate you having me on, man. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.